Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. It's Hoop Collective. I'm Kevin Arnovitz in Los Angeles with Royce Young across a table, also in Los Angeles. That's exciting. Royce, you are in town for Oklahoma City Thunder's big week here in L.A. They've got the Lakers on Wednesday night. We're recording Wednesday morning. They've got the Clippers Thursday night. You were uh, a witness to the Rose Bowl festivities on New Year's Day as an Oklahoma Sooner. It is it is Oklahoma week here in Los Angeles. Yeah, not off to a great start in terms of Oklahoma things, but uh, I don't know if you want to spend an hour talking about the Rose Bowl. No, no, it's funny. I don't really watch college football, and I had the game on. Right. And I noticed that overtime in college football is this bizarro like social experiment where they just stop a clock, they put the ball like on the four yard line. What, <laughs> like, what, what is that, by the way? Yeah, it's been that way for a long time, and it's it's as such that they have to explain it every time. Like any time a college football game goes to overtime, they have to like take a moment, like the announcer has to explain it because everybody's any casual observer is going to be confused by it. I'm just thinking like if the NBA went to this, like you know, overtime is no longer five on five basketball governed by the same rules that govern. Regular play, like what would be the overtime equivalent of NBA being college football? Like three on three, you can only dunk. Actually, the half court, court game. The, yeah, the court is now like we move in the lines to the lane. There is no. It, it's it's a really weird product, right? Because in like, not to go on a complete tangent about uh, the heartbreaking loss of the Rose Bowl, but a team like Oklahoma who has a very spread out offense now is confined into that 25-yard space and has to struggle to kind of figure out how to kind of maybe readjust when they're used to using pace. Because OU plays with tempo and like – and so if you did that to an NBA team, you know, you've got a team like the Warriors and you're taking players off the floor and readjusting the game, yeah, it would would change it dramatically. So this would be like the old – if the old Memphis Grizzlies grit and grind team got to overtime, they have a huge advantage. Exactly. Because they don't really play with much space. Right. Uh, The Thunder. Probably I think – Bar none, the most interesting team of the 2017-18 season. There is this, you know, the Thunder, they, they bring in Paul George, they bring in Carmelo Anthony. I think people are simultaneously fascinated. I think there's a degree of schadenfreude when they don't play well. Uh, not that they stack the deck in any sort of Pat Riley 2010-2011 sense, but I, they are, a really interesting team to watch. And, and they're the one team when you look up and down the standings, hey, Golden State, Houston, San Antonio, we kind of called that. We knew who would be good. We knew who would be bad. Yeah, Toronto's hanging around. What's new? Boston and Cleveland, everybody had that. And then the Thunder were sort of this mystery guess where right. we didn't know how to appraise them because we'd never seen it work before. Uh, and here they are, kind of ironically, where most of us, I think, have them, which is just below Golden State, Houston, San Antonio. Yeah, the Wolves are making some noise right now, but they're sort of situating themselves as a four or five team. Are they? Do you think that the organization's disappointed? Do you think what's the mindset? That's right a now? good way to ask it: is disappointed or not? Because I think that they 
had an expectation that things were going to be difficult. And um, but I think that if you if you said that they were going to be twenty and seventeen at this point of the season, I think they would have been a little bit surprised by that because I think there was an expectation that they were going to just win some games based on just talent alone. Now the whole like when does it work? When do they quote unquote figure it out? When was that going to happen? You know, anybody I talked to within the team was saying 30 games or Christmas. Those were kind of their two benchmarks. Give it, give it till then, till they start to actually kind of start to figure things out. That is kind of when they've started to play better. The offense is really, you know, if you look at the, the offensive rating over the last two weeks, it's, you know, 118 points per 100 possessions. Um, what's really carried them has been they've been one of the top three or four defensive teams. It's been amazing, Kevin, though, that a team with Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Stephen Adams, and Carmelo Anthony, those are four very, very good players, four, four very good offensive players, struggle at times to score 16 points in a quarter. You know, they'll, they'll, at times, breaking 100 points is difficult for them. And that has been what has confused so many people within the organization is that, you know, yeah, maybe the offense isn't flowing and running the way that Billy Donovan envisioned it with space and Carmelo Anthony as a catch-and-shoot three-point guy or whatever it is, but these guys are just good enough to put the ball in the basket and, you know, and you know, if the Thunder can hold somebody to, to 96 points, which is what they've been doing, they're going to score 100 and win the game. That hasn't happened, and that's been what's been really perplexing for a lot of people. It's like because the starting five and, and Roberson being being the, the, the fifth starter at, at shooting guard, um, which probably a, a misnomer for him, but you know, plus 11.3 per hundred possessions, 107.6 offensive, which is you know, like in this day and age, okay, yeah, it's not bad. decent, not bad. Uh, defensive rating is just gangbusters, 96.3, but. Um, you think Paul George is enjoying himself? I think he is. You know, he, Paul George is the type of guy, you know, I've only really gotten to know him over the last, you know, four months or so. I think he is the type of guy that, um, likes to kind of say what, what he's supposed to say. I think he's very, uh, um, you know, he's very well spoken, very thoughtful. Um, but I think he also knows kind of what he's supposed to say and how it's supposed to sound. Um, but, you know, you talk to people that, that know him pretty well or, you know, other players anonymously and, I think that he's kind of been the guy that, you know, he's been in Indiana and he's kind of been the guy, quote unquote, the, the guy in Indiana. And I think he's kind of enjoying not having that burden and kind of letting it be Russell Westbrook's thing. And I think he's also enjoying the idea that there is a greater goal here. You know, with the Pacers the last few years, you know, they've been okay. They've been playoff teams, but there was never like this vision of potential of like how they could, where they could get to. And I think Paul George has kind of looked at it and said, you know, this team could be really, really good if everything kind of clicks and comes together because they've shown it. They've shown it at times how good they can be. You know, there are very few teams that can route the Warriors, especially when the Warriors are teed up for a game. And the Thunder did that. And, you know, they beat the Rockets, albeit without Chris Paul. They can play with the best teams in the NBA. The problem is that they can also play down to the worst teams. And that's been, that's been what's been really frustrating for them. And Melo? You know, I've wondered if he's enjoying himself at times. You know, he's, I, because he he's been the guy that's been asked to change the most. You know, he, he came in first first thing first, he changed his position. He made that kind of reluctant acceptance to become a true stretch four, which he did. Which didn't by the way, to. can we just talk for a second? This is absurd. Like like there, there there's no there is no context in the two thousand eighteen NBA on any team where you would look at Carmelo Anthony and say he's anything other than a four right. in today's game. I mean, it, th- this is what's absurd. I mean, okay, maybe if he's on a team with, with circa 2013, Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol, he's a three. But, like, the idea that this is some ask, that this is a sacrifice, that that, that, that you would want well, – that Melo would want to be anything other than a four at this point. Like, is is just – it's it's an, it's an antiquated notion, and I, I just – 
I, I just can't even believe we're, we're still talking in these terms. Right. Like, oh, you know, changing positions, going from a three to a four in the 2018, you know, going from the living room to the dining room. <laughs> like, like, what? I mean, it's ridiculous. I think it goes to show, though, that, like, the odd ego and pride that these players just, you know, they harbor within themselves. That, like, it's a, as, as if it's some demotion. That like Carmelo Anthony is no longer a small forward. He's no longer in the class of Kevin Durant, LeBron James, small forward. Two guys of which that play as much power forward as they exactly. Do I mean that was what, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the, the you, next next rejoinder. You know, but like quote unquote, they are they are small forwards. But you know, one thing about Carmelo is as he's moved into that kind of power forward spot, quote unquote, he's actually been an adequate defender. You know, like he, he that he's always been a huge liability as a small forward because the matchup isn't there necessarily. You can you know you can. Uh, Expose him in switches and pick and roll and whatever it is. As as a four, I think he's a lot more comfortable there. Well, that was always the thing. And, and on an offensive standpoint too, like, look, you want to back a guy in, you want to kind of stop the ball on the block or, or, or on the foul line extended and do your thing. If you're a four, there's far more allowance to do that because now you have three. Well, and, and Robertson complicates this right. a little bit, but you you essentially you theoretically have three shooters around. You would actually, if you want to play bully ball as a six seven forward. Like being a four enables that far more effectively right. than being a three. Like, yeah, and if, if you want to if you want to defend, it's much easier as a four. So that was always, and I think Mike D'Antoni tried to drill that into him in New York many years ago, and it was before the ages when we were asking all small forwards to conform into becoming big forwards. But and he lost that battle. D'Antoni did, and and the whole thing was, hey, this will make life easier for you. Trust me, like move to the four, and you don't have to play bully ball as doggedly as you do. Like it, it can completely change your game, and it's interesting to kind of see it come to fruition. Necessity is the mother of invention. It just ha- I mean, at this point we don't even discuss it anymore. Yeah. Like he's a four. Yeah, and you know, but like I said, he's he's clearly had some discomfort in kind of accepting what Billy Donovan has asked him to do. And I give Donovan and I give Mello credit. Mello, you know, you can see it. He's very intentional. In games, making extra passes and, you know, the ball hitting him on the wing and him swinging it and him not stopping the ball. That's been, that's been something that Donovan has really, really harped on is just don't stop the ball. Because, you know, we all know how offense can, can work with Carmelo Anthony is it, it can, the ball can pop around to two or three different places. It hits him on a wing and he's going to stop and he's going to jab step for six seconds and then make a decision on what he wants to do. Um, what the Thunder and, you know, I asked Billy about this uh, a couple weeks ago when Melo had a game where he took 12 threes and 18 total shots. And I said, is that the ideal Carmelo Anthony game? 12 threes, 18 shots. And he said, yeah, that's it. Like, catch-and-shoot threes is what we want from him. And I think Carmelo Anthony, I don't know if maybe he views it as boredom or whatever it might be because he's a scorer. He's played a specific way since he was six years old, basically. And, you know, for him just to be a guy that's just waiting for the ball to come to him, for Russell Westbrook or Paul George to find him, I don't know that he necessarily loves that. But I do think what he does love is the idea that he could be on a team that could really compete. And he's he has bought in. He's used this one interesting word, though, uh, a number of times, Kevin, where he, he just used the words accept. I've accepted it. It almost sounds like it's this thing like where he's like, like – He's grieving. And right. Just, like he's in the mirror like, okay, I'm, I'm going to accept this role. Like he's gone through the stages of denial and anger and now right. he's at the acceptance <laughs> right. stage. Instead of saying, I embrace this. This is what I need to do. This is what I'm excited to do. He's like, I accept it. I accept my plight. It's, it's interesting though because – and this isn't unique to Carmelo. I, I mean I grew up in an era where wings played that way. I mean, I, I grew up in the temple of Dominique Wilkins. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously a, a different kind of player, a little more dynamic than, than Carmelo in, in, in size and speed and everything else. But at the end of the day, I mean, there, there just isn't. I mean, if you are a 
at least nominal small forward or that is your quote natural position and and you kind of play one-on-one basketball there's just not much of a place in the league for you anymore or you you better find a very particular situation that will accommodate those instincts because coaches like billy donovan and organizations like for that matter the san antonio spurs or the golden state warriors or you know or brad stevens and boston celtics just really aren't in the business of accommodating that anymore it's just it's not why anybody got into this business and you are somewhat of an anomaly and that's not to pick on carmelo it's just to say that we have recast this particular position as something completely different than what we all grew up conceiving as a scoring small forward was especially if you're going to play alongside russell westbrook i mean that guy that that wants the ball in his hands that needs the ball in his hands wants to be the guy that that drives an offense completely so yeah i mean it's it you know that that was the thing is that if carmelo anthony wanted to play the way that carmelo anthony plays he was going to butt heads in new york no matter what with jeff hornacek and you know they were trying to transition to a a christoph's porzingis era but he could have kind of state himself right but you know he's he wanted the trade and he had different places lined up houston being one of them everybody thought you know what was the the word that was on the two yard line or whatever he was clearly going to be asked to change the way he played so this is something i think carmelo accepted even previous to to joining the thunder was i'm gonna have to become a different basketball player i just don't know how happy he truly is doing it if it doesn't work let's say they bow out in the second round um I, I can't help but wonder, and it's funny, as much as I'm not a huge fan of Carmelo's style, uh, I, I feel like the blame will be squarely put on him, and I don't know that that would be fair. Oh, yeah. I, I think a lot of people have kind of felt that already, honestly. I, I think because, like I said, when he's when you're the guy that's asked to change the most, people are kind of putting you under the microscope to see, like, is that change working? Is that benefiting everyone else? Now, Westbrook is always going to be a guy that's going to be criticized no matter what. Because, But I think people are kind of figure, are figuring out that, like, Russell Westbrook has to play at a certain level. And when he plays at that level, it makes Paul George, it makes Carmelo Anthony better. Um, but I do think that people are going to kind of zero in on Melo and say, like, did he change enough? Did he, did he do what was asked of him? Um, especially if you get into the playoffs, and we all know how postseason basketball works. It's not quite as, you know, rhythmic and flowing and everything else. The ball doesn't necessarily move as easily. And Carmelo Anthony is going to absolutely isolate and jab step his way into into some fourth quarter possessions. And if that happens, I think people are going to look at him and say, you know, Melo shouldn't have done that sort of thing. But, you know, that's just that's just the way it's going to go. Now, I've been handed this piece of paper for a promo read, and it's something called Sunbasket, which, to be perfectly honest, I don't know what a Sunbasket is. Sounds wonderful. It is a great life hack, and here's what I'm talking about. You want to eat healthy, but it's a pain to go to the supermarket, and preparing it at home requires going online and finding recipes. No, with Sunbasket, they do it all. They deliver to your door organic produce, responsibly raised meat, sustainably sourced fish, organic pasture-raised eggs. They furnish you with recipes, and voila, you can make it. They have house-made sauces that I've been hoarding. Andrew knows this. I have lemongrass paste from Sunbasket. Lemongrass paste. That I that I use in all kinds of recipes. I have hoarded their green goddess salad dressing. I am all about Sunbasket, and you should be too. So you just order Sunbasket and just like uh, just take the things and put them in your fridge. And- yeah, this is how it works. You 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 mix and match from all kinds of packages. They have a paleo. They have a lean clean. They have a gluten free, a vegan, a vegetarianism, Mediterranean. I myself am a paleo person because I'm terrified carbohydrates but you might be any one of those other varieties huh okay so like so you're saying because I've, I've heard of this sort of thing you know you get it delivered to your door we get these emails all the time and like it uh, the thing i've always wondered this is a legit question and i do actually wonder this 
how does it show up at your door and like be good? <laughs> does that make sense? How does the thermos know whether it's warm or cold? But it like, just you know, does. Like how does like I live in Oklahoma. I don't know if you know this. It's kind of in the middle of the country. I, I am familiar with. with if Oklahoma. I'm going to get a piece of fish. Like, how am I going to be confident that this piece of fish is something sitting on my front doorstep in, like, middle of August that I'm going to, like, show up and be like, all right, I'm going to eat that now. They have freeze-dry technology. It comes in a crate. You can actually go get $35 off your first order, Royce. Go to sunbasket.com slash hoop today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash hoop for $35 off. Sunbasket.com slash hoop. Why do you have to read the last part verbatim? Because that's the part where it says, read the last part verbatim. Oh. (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but it says, read the last part. Is it wrong to glean anything from Victor Oladipo's season, or for that matter, Sabonis? And does it inform the way we think about Oklahoma City? Is it a place where guys can't really thrive um, within the? And, and I don't, I don't want to lay it on Russell Westbrook. I'm, right. I, I don't want to suggest this is. This sounds like a loaded question, and maybe it is. But I, I just I, I wonder. I mean, what do, what do we know about? Do we learn anything about the Oklahoma City Thunder by looking at Indiana right now? I think that I think it's a worthwhile thing to wonder. And but here's what I would say about it. You know, people have kind of asked this question of like, why do Thunder players get better when they leave Russell Westbrook? Right. Victor Oladipo's really, and Sabonis to some degree, but look, this is a second-year player here. And he was also miscast in Oklahoma City. He was playing as a four. He's truly a five. And, you know, he could never play the five in Oklahoma City because they have Steven Adams. You know, he would have been a backup center. So um, with Oladipo, though, he's truly, I think, the only, like, litmus test here to apply. Because all these other players that people want to use, you know, whoever you want to go back through Thunder history and say, look how much better when they got when they left, those guys were playing with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. And so, yeah, you're not going to be the same kind of player. You're not going to produce box score stats in the same way playing alongside those two guys. It just doesn't happen. You know, you can you can apply that to anybody in, in any position. Um, you know, when Patrick McCall ends up leaving the Warriors in a few years, he's probably going to have better numbers than he does now. Was Steph Curry holding him back? Well, I guess Steph Curry was holding him back because he didn't get to play because he played behind Steph Curry. I think, though, with Oladipo, you can ask. The fit wasn't there. Oladipo had a nice season in Oklahoma City, but he, he basically was relegated to a catch-and-shoot guy alongside Westbrook. Westbrook's usage rate was off the charts. Um, he was also not brought to Oklahoma City to play the role as starting alongside Russell Westbrook. He was brought there with the intention to be the sixth man on a team that re-signed Kevin Durant, right. then possibly signed out Horford. So I think that you know identifying – Oladipo to play alongside Westbrook was not really the plan. It's just kind of what they, you know, were forced into. Um, I think clearly, you know, the other factor is Oladipo went under underwent a you know a transformation over the summer um, with his body and you know his nutrition and everything else. That's obviously had something to do with it. But you know, he just it wasn't a great fit alongside Westbrook. Is that an indictment of Russell Westbrook? I don't necessarily think. Yeah, so. no, and I, I, don't, I don't think it is either. It's just. Um, it, it's kind of one of the. It's a fun question to ask because I, I don't think there is a def- definitive answer, yeah. and and it's a good parlor game. In terms of the Thunder, kind of zooming out and looking down from thirty thousand feet, I, I've always thought they're one of the most three or four most interesting organizations in the league. Um, their origin story from Seattle, 
obviously they 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 inherit this just amazing collection of talent. They they've they've basically been an elite team for the better part of a decade. They haven't won. They I think from a managerial standpoint, they're they've now already have their own tree. Mm-hmm. I think when you ask people who pay attention to such things, they'll tell you that the Thunder are one of the best run organizations in basketball. This is a tax I mean, I'm sorry, this is a like a revenue sharing paying team right. in one of the league's three smallest markets. Uh they I mean, they are impeccably well run. And they've clearly captured the attention of, of a market that hadn't experienced professional sports before. That said, you know, I, I, I wonder like this is the normal in Oklahoma City and is there a sense that the clock is ticking for the first time? I mean, I, I think until Durant left, it was never ticking. Right. And then they've been able to kind of refashion themselves in motion with with this particular – and I think there is a sense that this might be a one-time mm-hmm. season. But, well, I mean, where's the organization as a – kind of in the, in the popular imagination of, of its fan base, of its city, for that matter, for the league? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the perspective has absolutely changed and Durant's departure clearly changed that. Um you can just look at the ownership group and what they've, you know, committed to supposedly here with Paul George and Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook and Stephen Adams and the big contracts that they have there, you know, and the luxury tax payment that would be coming towards Clay Bennett not this year but then the year after that, um, be monumental. It'd be some of the biggest you've ever seen in the league. So I mean, I think the pressure has has risen there. I do think just in terms of like the the feel and the the, the mindset of of the people of Oklahoma and Oklahoma City. Um, Russell Westbrook re-signing really changed a lot of things for, you know, cause he's, he's now under contract for six years in Oklahoma City. And, um, if, if he hadn't have done that, the pressure, I mean, like you said, it's like the viability of the organization in Oklahoma would start to be something people wondered about. Um, because really what was at the heart of Durant leaving, um, and, and kind of the pain that people felt was like, oh no, we're not going to be relevant anymore. I think that's how people felt. Like a guy like Kevin Durant who put Oklahoma City on the map globally now had left. And it, and it like validated a lot of insecurities of, of Oklahomans that like, you know, this guy said he loved us. He said he wanted his jersey retired here. He, he said all these things. And then he ended up going to the bigger, brighter, better market in San Francisco. That's what everybody does. It's what everybody thinks of Oklahoma. And now we're not going to be relevant anymore because we don't have this you know, trans, transcendent star. And with Westbrook now kind of at the forefront of us, like, is he going to do it too? Since he's stayed, I think like the pressure of keeping Paul George, the pressure of, you know, does this team stay together, whatever it is. I think a lot of people say like, well, look, regardless of what happens, Russell Westbrook's there through the prime of his career. He's committed. He's done enough to stay. And, and I also think that there's like a, there's like this inerrant faith in Sam Presti to like figure it out. (laughs) And like, he's got Westbrook, you got Sam Presti, they're going to figure it out. So I think that there's almost like this, weird kind of comfort level, even with Paul George's free agency. I don't think people are stressing about that. No, and, and, and you're right. I mean, the Westbrook extension is everything, right? Because what it basically says is you are locked into having one of the league's five best players for the next five years. Right. And that provides a baseline of, you know, not only competitiveness, but as you say, relevance. And you know, I think people forget just how important relevance is in certain markets. Yeah. And I, I, I hope that doesn't sound condescending, but it's just, it is a um, it, it is it is a tonic that can just solve the wounds of of an early playoff exit and everything else. I mean, you're relevant. You're relevant, and you're exciting with Russell Westbrook right. too. You, you're a watchable team. 
and you know there, there's there's like different categories of stars that we can put every player in in terms of like talent level you know ability whatever but like some stars just kind of like draw you to watching them and Russell Westbrook's one of those guys so um, yeah he's going to sell tickets he's probably going to get you into the playoffs um, and, and those are things that while maybe not the original expectations of a team like the Thunder that once had Kevin Durant Russell Westbrook and James Harden on it and Serge Ibaka you know that was a team that people threw around the word dynasty for for a little while so this would be quite a reduction in you know like overall expectations but like if you can sit back and you can say a a franchise in oklahoma city could be relevant and consistently good for 15 to 18 straight years i think people would be pretty pretty pleased with that and it'll be going on let's see i mean that first playoff Run was 2010. That was that 2-7 series against the Lakers, right? So this one, yeah, it was a 1-8 series. It was a 1-8. Yeah. Well, they, they were really competitive in that series. Yeah, they were a 51 team. The Thunder won 50 wins. Got an 8 uh, seed. Games and the, Man, the West. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, yeah. the West has been crazy. Uh, that would be so. This will be like the ninth straight season. Yeah, in the playoffs. Well, they missed one year that year. Oh, that's, that's right. That's right. Durant's that's right. foot thing. The Durant's foot thing. That's right. And they and they were they would have been in, but they lost uh, by virtue of tiebreaker to the Pelicans. Say nothing of like the series they lost to Memphis when they were down. Yeah. Westbrook was down that year. Yeah, they uh, lost. Yeah, that the, series. yeah, the the uh, Patrick Beverly injury right. thing. So, yeah. but yeah, I, and that, that's always been from the competitive standpoint is it, it is a shockingly small market from just a, an eyeballs and local TV revenue standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like it is, I don't think people realize how hard it is to make money in those markets. And, yeah. and they've been able to, to, to scratch and claw their way um, to profitability. And, but, but I think I always ask questions that, Hey, if, when the party is over, like, is this a sustainable product in a market where, where, where let's say there is no Russell Westbrook anymore, Yeah, where there is no, there's no top 25 player on a, on a, on a team where you're winning 29 games. Like, what would happen in Oklahoma City? That's a great question. Yeah. And that's something I think <clears throat> nobody's really wanted to confront because, you know, the Thunder have had one bad season. It was their first season where they started 3-29. and 29, They won 23 games that year. But, like, it was the first season nobody cared. Nobody cared. Everybody, everybody was there to watch Kobe Bryant come to town. Everybody was there to watch Kevin Garnett come to town. Um, and it was like – and you could also kind of sell this young team that was exciting and, like, they're going to be good one day. Now, they got good really fast, and that, I think – that that put them in a in a level of viability that they couldn't have even anticipated because suddenly this team with these young players was good and competitive. You know, they had this vision of like maybe getting to the playoffs in 2012, maybe getting to like actually competing and you know, in all, all honesty, Kevin, it's something that maybe hurt them because guys like James Harden uh, was not supposed to be a max contract player when they drafted him. A guy like Russell Westbrook really wasn't even supposed to be. Serge Ibaka was not supposed to get $48 million. So these guys got too good too fast to where you couldn't keep them together. And, um, that's, that, you know, but, but that also, I think, kind of gave the organization a foundation because the Thunder are kind of become this national, in some ways, global brand of like, because they've had star players. They've had two MVPs that have played for them in the last five years. So, um, yeah, we don't think of them. I think when you sort of rank teams in terms of viability as a broadcast product, you know, I, I think teams, crappy teams in big markets get a boost up, right? Like, like, you know, we'll watch the Knicks and the Lakers more right. than we rightfully should, even when they're terrible because it's New York and Los Angeles. Right. The Bulls will always get a little more of a bounce than they probably should because of the nation's three, number three market. Uh, the Spurs have historically not, and maybe it's a reflection of the style of play and, and an intentional anti-charisma uh, that's, that's almost 
organizational policy. But, you know, some of that has to do with the market. Mm-hmm. And OKC, it's funny because they've never really – you know, they, they've never had to pay the toll. And I think a lot of that has to do with Russ. Yeah. And just the sheer charisma. I mean, it, it, the, but he's not going to play forever. Stage presence. And, and, you know, he's going to, how know, old is he now? He's just turned 29. All right. He's got it. So, I mean, but like, but, you know, with that is a question a lot of people have is what does Russell Westbrook look at age 33 or 34? And he's one of those classic, he relies on athleticism. Right. What, what happens to somebody? At and his game is, you know, his game has become more refined than I think people realize. Yes. Um, you know, but he, he is the explosiveness is a lot of what separates him into a you know rarefied air in the NBA. Uh, but you know, it, it's you know it, it's something that you know they do have great a great management team with Sam Presti. They they are very inventive. They are very creative. They scout. You know, you can look at their draft record. You can look at the, the players that they young players they've acquired via trade. They have a great you know great track record of of identifying and developing talent. But you know, not not every team just is going to find Kawhi Leonard just sitting there at you know in, late in the lottery. Like you know, that's just not going to happen. I mean, everybody can kind of look at the Spurs and how they were able to transition eras. That's I mean, that's a that's a one in a million shot there that you're taking to to find like a you know transcendent player at that point. And if you can't do that, then you know in Oklahoma your zip code is not you know is not a plan. You cannot expect to draw free agents into Oklahoma City. So you're basically back to square one where it's, okay, let's be bad for three seasons and draft, develop, and trade. And that, it, that's how they built the current team, and that's what they would probably have to go to. The question is, like you said, paying the toll, will people in Oklahoma buy into and be willing to watch a team maybe win 22 games for three or four straight years? Is it enough of a civic pastime now? I think so, and and that's what I that's what I think will help them is that there's there's been this foundation laid where I think people now kind of like it's it's kind of the fabric of Oklahoma is like the Thunder now, and you know they've been there ten years, it's ten seasons, so um, I think that there will be kind of especially coming off the heels of whatever this era ends and looks like, I think people would say like it's our duty to continue to support it because they'll know what what the outside world is thinking. The, and so I think that's people, so funny how image consciousness can oh yeah I dictate mean, ticket sales in in Oklahoma yeah honey we need to get season tickets again this year you know right I mean, it's, it's our response this is our this is almost a civic toll and, exactly. and we're gonna this is it's like giving to the botanical gardens or people something. in Oklahoma like are you know your tried and true example of little man syndrome I mean they they are just they are sensitive and fearful of what people in the bigger markets think of them and so like it would almost be like this defiance of like no we're going to continue to sell out that building because that's what we're supposed to do but you know the thing is is that last year if you talk to people around you know the business office and you know ticket brokers in Oklahoma you would have thought that they would it would have been a little bit more of a um like maybe they would have rallied more, right? That you know, Kevin Durant's left, Russell Westbrook's re-signed, he's going for this triple double thing. Ticket sales did drop off. Yeah, well, look, people degree. got things to do. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I have no doubt that there's a collective commitment to the success of the franchise by the people who love it. At the end of the day, though, there are other things to do at night, right? Um, and. Uh, you started seeing uh, the place wasn't filled. I mean, I, I feel like for years I'd go to Thunder games regular season, and it it's seven oh nine. You know, those people were standing up with those crazy sticks and like, and that's what, and every seat was full. Like it felt like yeah. a playoff game on Thanksgiving Eve. And they always had a Thanksgiving Eve game I'd always go to, uh, on my way back east. And, and it did feel a little more like my hometown of Atlanta mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, people would stroll in eight minutes, 
left in the first quarter and um but that's i mean that's the natural maybe they're just becoming actual nba fans yeah exactly (laughs) which would make them more like the rest of the league that's what phil jackson said during that first playoff series way back when was like these people don't know how what how to be an nba fan they're here you know 20 minutes before tip-off you're not supposed to be here 20 minutes before tip-off that's not what an nba fan does he was confused by that so what's going to happen in the second half of the season what am i looking for in terms of as they continue to refine the offense figure out what works what doesn't massage rotations obviously figure out if 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 patrick patterson who i thought would be a really crucial piece for them is actually healthy and 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 can contribute figure out what abrinus can give them what what, what am i what are we looking what would be the great barometers of other than wins and losses of whether this team you know has its schematics down going into the playoffs i mean i think that right now kevin what's kind of you know, they, they had this six game win streak, then they had the game against Milwaukee where, you know, they controversially lost it, and then they lost a bad one to Dallas. The barometer to me is can they, can they put together kind of this level of consistency to where they are the top five defensive team that they've shown that they can be while also playing good offense? And, you know, if, if they can be a team, I think that is even top 10 in offense, then they're gonna, they're gonna walk into the playoffs as a team that's pretty, pretty threatening you know so if they if they can play as a top 10 offensive team which seems kind of ridiculous to say with the type of players that they have but i mean it there is a question of fit there and and i think that russell westbrook is a very distinct unique player and he's very very good but he's very very difficult i think to maybe adjust your game and play with him paul george is a guy that can can do that i think paul george is very you know i talked to paul after he's really adaptable yeah and, and that's, and that's, he said that's about what i've been surprised by he, he he said that himself me and him had a, had a conversation about uh, coming here back to la and um and, and i kind of asked him about westbrook like were you surprised about anything about him you know that there you know he's kind of got a little bit of a reputation around the league that he's difficult to play with what have you seen and paul george was kind of like geez man like i can play with anybody like it doesn't matter i'm flexible i can adjust i can come off pin downs i can spot up you can put the ball in my hands and that you know that that's the beauty of a player like paul george and then he can play the other end of the floor he's one of the best defenders in the league so you know then that's why it all kind of everything comes back to carmelo anthony and that's why you know it's like Melo's kind of like the bridge between everything, but he's also what's kind of, I think, separated them. Um, you know, Zach Lowe wrote, and I think it was really, really smart, and it's proving to be smart in his kind of evaluation of the Carmelo trade, is that they probably sacrificed wins during the regular season to make this move. If they would have Ennis Canner and Doug McDermott right now instead of Ennis Canner, instead of Carmelo Anthony, they'd have more wins. They'd probably have eight more wins. They'd be, they'd be a team that would make more sense. They would, um, they wouldn't have lost some of these close games. They wouldn't have struggled to score 100 points, but they wouldn't, they would have a clear ceiling. And, you know, they, they would walk into the playoffs as a three seed and maybe get beat in the second round. Right now, they can at least say with Carmelo Anthony that they can compete. They can believe that they are good enough to compete with the best teams in the NBA. So, you know, it was, it was a risk reward situation, but, um, as, as we kind of go into the second half of the season, you know, I, I think that they have kind of figured out the formula of what it's supposed to look like. Mello and Paul George have begged Westbrook, be yourself. Be the guy that was the MVP. And because <clears throat> Carmelo even has kind of lamented it, that Russ was deferring early in the year, which is an odd thing to say. But he was kind of hesitant. He was trying too hard to make those guys feel comfortable. They want him to be the quote-unquote ball hog. They want him to just go out there and tear down the floor and let the offense happen as it may. Royce, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. This is the Hoop Collective.